welcome to Future of Beauty Unfiltered podcast. We have an absolute treat for you today, talking about all things innovation in health and beauty. Um, I have not one, but two really, really lovely guests today. Um, our first one is uh, by no means least needing his very own introduction. It's our very own MD, uh, Dean Corney. Now, why is he on this call, you ask? Well, Dean, alongside being one of our fierce leaders at Pull, is part of the BEMA, the British Interactive Media Association AI Council, and has been a huge voice within the business and industry around the purpose and possibilities of technology. So welcome, Dean. Thanks, Anna. And secondly, by no means of an introduction, is our amazing Wilma McDaniel. Welcome, Wilma. Thank you so much, Anna. So Wilma is, I'm going to do, I'm going to probably embarrass you here now, but uh, <laughs> Wilma is a true figurehead in the beauty industry. Your career has spanned continents and decades, <laughs> working with the renowned brands such as Estee Lauder, Prescriptives, Dolce & Gabbana, Versace, just to name a few, just a few, casual few. Um, in 2015, you started your own consultancy, Rise Business Growth, dedicated to supporting and advising organizations on how to grow their sales, profitability, and market share. And as such, is working with businesses as diverse as SMEs and publicly quoted corporations. Now, since 2015, you're also a non-executive board member um, of award-winning skincare technology company, Cutitronics. So with over 20 years of experience in the skincare and beauty industry, you are renowned, and I have loved speaking to you about this, in helping drive innovation in the sector. And in 2020, were recognized as an inspirational woman in technology and throughout your career have contributed to revolutionizing the way that we take care of our skin at home. Did well, I do it justice? <laughs> well, you're right. You were going to embarrass me. Oh, uh, no. That's been a long journey. And, and, you know, I am truly blessed to have worked with so many innovative people because, you know, nothing in business is ever achieved by one person. And I have found myself over the years just being the glue that brings people together. And what an honour that is to be able to do, um, you know, to really pioneer some of the breakthrough that we've seen as a health and beauty industry. Um, I, st I started Rise um, almost eight years ago now, which was my real step out of the boat moment. I had no idea um, what businesses would be attracted to working with me. Mm. Um, and genuinely, I have spent 90% of my time working back in this health and beauty space, which is a space that I was in first inspired to as, as a young girl, as a teenager, when I saw the transformative effect that, that a visit to a health retreat had on my own mother. And, and, you know, and over those decades, I've just seen an industry that has grown, that has continuously innovated, and, and you know, it's, it's almost like a village in terms of how people work mm. together. And I think it, that we're a, a really interesting junction for our industry. So, you know, I'm, I'm delighted to be here with you guys today talking about what you do and how you bring value to the space because um, I think there is so much value to be brought. Oh, well, thank you so much for joining. I mean, look, we've met a few times, right? And uh, to be fair, I wish I'd put my phone on the table when we had that lunch <laughs> not long ago because we spoke about everything from women in the space to mm -hmm. how you even got into it in the first place. And I think, you know, technology is, it's a huge part of, how we've got to where we are and it's going to be and play a huge role in how we can move forward and like we were speaking about earlier it's not just always about the end result and I think I'd love to understand that more 
kind of talking to you both actually today. Um, so I think let's start to the to the beginning a little bit because I think your story of how you got here, particularly when you talk about your mum, is just incredible. Um, you know, your passion for the industry is is really inspiring. And it's amazing to see it span across such a diverse range of categories, brands, projects, whatever it may be. And it's always been very much at the heart of what's kind of driven you to take on another project. Where did that come from? How did you end up in this space? Well, as I say, um, I still clearly remember I was 13 years old. Um, I, I I grew up in a family with a, a very um, hard work ethic. Um, my parents had their own business all their life um, in the food industry. And um, my mum and my dad worked incredibly hard. And, and I'm one of four kids. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know how, you know, back in the, you know, back in the day, how my mum juggled all these things. But she she had the she was she was advised by a good friend to visit um, then Scotland's only um, health retreat. Um, for a few days and I can still remember her going away on the Sunday afternoon literally exhausted it was February they had just had all the biz of Christmas um, and mum was really really tired and she went away on the Sunday afternoon and I can remember coming home from the, from school on the Wednesday which was when she came home and I walked into the house and and it was the first time I'd ever seen makeup brushes Hannah um, <laughs> but this was so much more than makeup this was this was transformation in front of my eyes. And she looked and she felt like a different person. And she started to cook differently and she started to exercise differently. And her her demeanor was changed as a consequence of being exposed to expertise in their field, whether it was nutrition or, or, or skin health or, or makeup or whatever it happened to be. And so that summer while working in my parents' business, I, um, I bought, with my with my weekly pay packet, <laughs> I bought the Cosmopolitan Guide to Health and Beauty, and I read it cover to cover. <laughs> but this time I'm like 14, and I said I want to study international spa therapy and management because there was a link in this book nice. to a place in Edinburgh who mm. specialised in international spa therapy. So I I convinced them it took a lot of pleading because it was not something that people really did back then it was a new space um, and I'm so glad that I did that because I got I remember my international esthetician lecturer um, had worked with Madame Rubinstein still viewed as one of the pioneers of our industry and and she had worked very closely with her and I then worked very closely with 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 Miss Baxter and and so I think of from that very early stage I was sown and, and into by people who had worked with others at the highest level in our industry mm. and who had real passion for people and well-being. And I, th I think that's how I discovered my passion for people and well-being. And I, and I, I practiced spa therapy for three years and, and I joined the Estee Lauder companies age 21. Um, and the, the rest of it's history, really, <laughs> <laughs> because... My goodness, what an opportunity that yeah. was, age 21, to work, you know, and understand, um, you know, at really at the leading edge of um, product formulation, um, consumer engagement, how we understand the individual nature of, of people and their health and well-being. Mm. It's interesting what you said about, you know, the, the way it transformed your mum. And I think what came over during COVID was, again, the connection between our well-being and, you know, not just how we look, is a, it has a connection with how we feel and just look, you know, 
making sure we look after ourselves, whether it be again skin, body, whatever it is, you know, it's such a mental well-being piece. You know, like I think I, I mean I showed, it was probably obvious, right? But that connection has been super proven, right? I mean. 100%. And I have seen that firsthand. You know, if I think back to my very first role at Estee Lauder Companies, I was a business manager for the Prescriptors brand, which was all about personalisation. Mm -hmm. It was all about being the, the best version of, your, of yourself. Mm. And I sat with people and showed them how to do that. Mm -hmm. And you watch their eyes light up. Mm. You watch... They come back, they come back regularly and they bring their partners with them who say, oh, thank you for what you've done with my, with my wife or my girlfriend or, or whatever. And, and, and like I say, because I had experienced this as a, as a teenager with my mum, I have literally seen that growing from, you know, every role that I've done across the world. I, so, so it's that local, individual well-being mm. and what we're learning to do now as an industry including you mentioned in your introduction the use of technology is how can we take that local personalization adaptive approach as we walk through our lives but we scale it globally mm. Mm. that's what excites me mm. yeah and i think as well that it's palatable the the opportunity when when you really and i think when we met you know so how did, how did we meet Wilma? Well, I, I met you two years ago, like I was speaking about, and I saw you speaking at an event, and I went, wow, I need to speak to this woman in more detail and understand. And, and you know, Millie mentioned on our previous podcast, and that's what we were speaking about earlier, is that, you know, this advice, this expertise, this understanding in the consumer's hands. And that is where technology and innovation and, and better communication can play a huge part in actually having a positive impact on every single consumer's life within that brand. Um, like you touched on earlier, Dean, you know, skin is the biggest organ in the body, right? Mm. It, has, it has microbiomes, it has its own bacteria. We are not taught to understand that. And therefore, if you have an imbalance in that and you have a real skin like I'm not surprised people have come up to you when we're and kind of said thank you for the help you've given because it, it can be consuming you know you mm. can't hide from bad skin um and no matter how hard you try absolutely I mean what Dean has just touched on on how transformative if you teach someone how to take care of themselves for 5 10 15 minutes in the morning and they look in the mirror and they go out with a spring in their step they're going to have a better day and I absolutely loved um, Millie's podcast. Mm. You know, someone who I hugely respect has been, you know, I remember the launch of Ruby and Millie. I remember all that, <laughs> all that great stuff. But Millie said something which I think was really poignant. And it was that she wants to get up in the morning and she wants to look in the mirror and just be told what to use. Mm -hmm. And how much. Uh, exactly, exactly. And the building blocks of that solution are actually there so we can unburden the consumer to get the best possible results for their skin in real time uh, because you know our skin as you quite rightly said is our skin is so unique we can be identified by our fingerprint mm -hmm. yeah okay it's a it, it, my international esthetician said it's the largest and most wonderful organ in the body and and you know we might argue on the the the, the part that the heart and lungs play but i mean yeah, they're a bit more vital aren't they the skin keeps it all in <laughs> yeah. but it, it you know it's transformative 
when people have skin health, but it's equally debilitating when mm -hmm. they don't. Yeah, I did a call a couple of weeks ago with you know amazing couple of doctors um, who've spun their company out of the University of Manchester in this case, and they have developed um, in the Inside Out Beauty uh, a supplement which addresses extreme dryness and conditions such as eczema. Mm. And because I've never experienced eczema, I have some family members who have, so I'm aware of its debilitating effect on confidence and well-being. But since I did this call with these, these great couple of guys, um, I've been researching it, and it's huge, particularly in children. Oh, I could talk to you for days about that. I've watched children, complete, their personalities completely change and be branded a naughty kid because wow. they have eczema and a doctor actually said to my, my friend and he, he had severe, severe, severe. She said, every child that has eczema gets branded a naughty child. And it is because they're constantly living in a state of frustration. Yes, and, and uncomfortable. Yes, yeah, consuming. And, and, and back to your point, Dean, what effect does that have on their life? And, you know, and as, a, as mothers and, and, and fathers, we just never want to see that type of limit put onto our children. And so... You know, I think we have all of this innovation right across our supply chain. And ultimately, we want what Millie described for us and for our children and their children. Mm. We want that lifetime of optimum skill, skin health 100%. to be automated through the coming together of great ingredients, great formulations, and automating as, as much as possible of the diagnostics and the compliance to use, to take your point, the right amount and the right time and mm. the right environment. And it's interesting that you, you know, we started, you know, we started this from getting into the degree around a supplement. And, you know, again, because beauty tech, because it's just sometimes what I call it, you often think of try before you buy. But I think we're talking here about using technology as you say across it's diagnostic across the board right yeah. so it's literally from creating those products you know how can technology make better products rather than just again i think there's that yeah that is the beauty tech is just seen by some people again it's just try before you buy and skin analysis yeah. right and ai yeah. rather than actually what are we creating product wise where we can use innovation to create but better products i think what's really important is that we have connection across that value chain because you're right by having the information of what's happening with the consumer in real time, we can really shape the formulations of tomorrow. Mm. We can really automate that well-being, whether it's for you or I or our children. Well, it's not. It's about using data to remove a lot of the guesswork. And also sometimes we make the mistake of being arrogant and assuming that we know best. Yeah. And actually... You, you need to be using that data, people's perspective, opinion, even challenges. If you look at the amount of people that left the pandemic with more allergies mm -hmm. and, and intolerances that were having allergic, you know, everyone had to be re-skin tested when they went to get their hair done again because people had developed so many more sensitivities. It rose by about 6%. It was insane. And I think people are always changing and evolving. I think where as well, um, and I'd be keen to talk more about this, is a lot of the time, and again, we can, I can only go on, my limited experience of conversation, the assumption is that innovation or technology is used as the full stop of the sentence and the conversation, and it is only consumer-facing. But if we actually, as we spoke about earlier, utilised that data and those insights across the full mm. production, formulation, everything, the full chain, from the minute someone goes, I want to make a product about this, yeah. <laughs> all the way through to getting it into the consumer's hands 
you could use it to reduce price points, have a better impact on the environment. There are so many other ways in which you can be a better business by utilizing easily accessible technology to your advantage. And that's something you do a lot, right? In the way in which you work and your projects and conversations is, is working out where that can be impactful for a brand. And it isn't always directly to the consumer, is it? No, it's not. It's, 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 it's that value chain, Hannah, from the consumer all the way back to ingredient innovation mm-hmm. and from the ingredient ingredient innovation all the way back to the consumer. It's that holistic view. Mm. Um, going back to your point on the individual nature of skin, you know, everything has to start with the biology of skin and how we optimise skin health mm. with the knowledge of that biology. But there's a big education piece there, as you alluded to. Um, but one thing that consumers... Um, and, and, and the wider world, in my opinion, don't really understand is how our skin is affected by the environment in which we live. And mm-hmm. you mentioned that with what we, what we all experienced through lockdown. Mm-hmm. But if, if you, tr- as we increasingly travel or we, we, we're, work- we're working in different environments from what's outside and, and so on, um, we need to understand or we need to help the consumer to understand mm-hmm. how does he or she change her approach. Mm. So I'm going to be, hopefully, in, in Italy next week. My skin will be completely different mm. sitting by the sea in Sorrento mm. than it is in London today. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I'm exposed to different factors. So being able to, again, take Millie's approach of just automate it, just tell me what I need, mm. because there's no shortage of innovation in creation of formulations. So if I think of, you know, my experience of working with great ingredient innovators such as Croda, mm-hmm. and then we talk to the formulators who are masters at putting together the chassis and the effects for those ingredients to really deliver results. But then the consumer doesn't understand how do I choose and how do I use what's best for me mm. in Italy next week versus London this week. Yeah. The reality is they're never going to see what's possible. It also it also depends on diet and lifestyle. Oh. So, you know, my skin one week I'll be like, "Oh, my skin's loving life. It's so plump and happy." And it's because I've been drinking 4 liters of water every single day consistently. And then there are times where I drink 4 liters of coffee a day consistently and I think, "Why do I look like a shriveled prune?" Yes. So, it's yes. it's a mixture of th- Go back to um, Cutatronics really mm. quickly, because obviously that's where we first started speaking. Cutatronics have tried to address some of those challenges in, in their approach to technology. Yes, absolutely. Cutatronics was essentially addressing two industry issues. One around diagnostic. So how do I choose and use what's best for me in real time. Mm. A little bit of what we talked about earlier. And also the recognised issue of consumer compliance. And this is somewhere, when I speak to formulators, and there's wonderful formulators around the world. You know, I've worked with formulators here in the UK, in the US, in France. And these these people are craftsmen. Mm at their scale, you know, they put, they put formulas together that really improve skin health, whether we're addressing something like 
eczema that we talked about earlier or whether we're addressing dehydration, lines and wrinkles, pigmentation, whatever it is, they take those formulations and they put them into clinical trials and they prove the efficacy of the product. Mm. What then happens is that you or I take those formulations home and we forget to use them or we were impatient to get results because when we're working with biologic, biological actives in skin health, Sorry, I'm just we we're working at a cellular level mm. so we have to be patient to get those results and we have to use the topical consistently to optimize those results mm. and one of the greatest experiences i had during my tenure um, at cutitronics was when we did a trial uh, we actually did a trial with um, a luxury spa brand ishka mm -hmm. um, and we proved that we could take the world's average compliance, which we did a lot of research, and it sits around 50 to 60 percent. So around 50 to 60 percent of the time, mm. consumers do. So they apply the right volume with the right frequency to get results. By using the technology, i.e. the reminders to, you know, apply this product then or to use more of this product another time, we were able to take that compliance up into the 90s. And mm, guess what? Wow. The participants were wowed by what they saw in the mirror. Yeah. So after a month, we had people who are, you know, experienced spa directors in this health and beauty industry who believe in this skincare brand, proven skincare brand. But actually, now that they are doing what's optimal in terms of use of the product, mm. um, they're seeing the results. You know, and as you know, more recently, I've been involved um, with the technology platform ActiMirror. And literally just this morning, I've read a press release, which is not out yet, actually. Spoiler, spoiler. <laughs> and, um, and basically, this was, this was done with um, a beautiful um, uh, dermo-aesthetic brand, um, uh, Martyderm, based out of Barcelona. Um, they ran the trials in different environments, so in pharmacies, in Sephora, in El Corte Inglés, the, you know, the well-known um, department store, using, this, using a, a slightly different but the similar concept of um, diagnostics mm. in the stores with the consumer and the brand's ambassador alongside to guide and support and what happens when you have that type of diagnostic? So we're diagnosing different parameters of skin health, mm. unique to you, unique yeah. to you, Hannah. Um, and what that does for the brand, in this case, Martyderm, it gives authority. Because they're not just saying, have this. They're actually looking at you as an individual. Mm. They're taking a personalized approach of prescribing what they believe is best for you. Um, and for the consumer it's giving that confidence mm. that i'm actually getting what's right for me you're then taking that connection home digitally mm -hmm. so that you have now have that confidence to work with that brand to create your best skin and it's about taking control as well, right? It's Absolutely. about empowering. We speak so much about this, and the word empowering with every brand I speak with comes up. It's empowering the consumer with the insight and knowledge that the professionals have to take control of 
problematic skin Absolutely. or whatever it may be, you know, even if you don't have bad skin, there'll be something that you feel you want to do better because we're human and we all like to pick ourselves apart. We can talk about that another day. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. No, this is something that we've talk, talked a lot with my colleagues, my former colleagues at Cutitronics, my new colleagues at Actimirror, is how do we create that trust? Because yeah. that's what it's really all about. Why do I trust a particular brand mm. with something that's incredibly important to me? Because everybody sees my skin every day. As you said, Dean, it affects how I feel about myself. So I want to put my trust with a brand who is doing what's best for me all the way back that value chain mm -hmm. to the source and sustainability of the ingredients that they're using, to the way they're bringing together formulations, to the way they're educating the consumer on how they take a personalised approach to their regime. How much do I use? How often do I use it? And, and this is where I think we'll continue to see the evolution of technology. Mm. And I, just, I spoke to a few, few women the last few weeks knowing this was happening and I, and I think a lot of them don't even understand what is available and these aren't people who these are people who, who, who I see a lot who wear makeup who use a lot of skin products go to spas and I think there's an interesting piece here and some of the brands that are doing the, the really good stuff with the because again I think people don't even realize now that the technology has reached a point where it works right as in there was a point uh, a few years ago where, where there was questions around some of the you know did it actually work well now yeah. well now we know it works right and i don't think those brands that are using it some of them aren't really making enough of the of what of to the you know the consumer doesn't i don't think wholesale know how um impactful using these te the technology could be i just think that and maybe that's just because it's still early doors in some respects but i do think there are brands have got a massive opportunity now if they can pick the right partners and obviously they've got to have a good product but if they can bring those things together I think you know they will make hay because I, I think there is still a lot of potential for the consumer to be educated because I think I think although we're in the industry we know a lot about this stuff I don't think a lot of people do still yeah, I, but, I agree but I don't just think it's about the consumer focus again it's a it's about it's about the production line it's about the formulation mm. yeah sure that, it's everything but I, that I, if we just look at that analysis yeah to help improve product usage compliance mm -hmm. I mean, that's yeah obviously you've got a product that works but i think i was surprised that the people again it's just anecdotal but five six people because i knew this happening didn't really know about this stuff and mm -hmm. we whereas i think oh everyone knows about the technologies mm -hmm. now you can use mm. i i think you're right dean and i think there's so much noise out there and it's how do you, how do you filter through the hype? <laughs> the, yeah, to, it's the, it's the, it's the sizzle and the sausage. Yeah. How do we get through to what actually makes a difference? Um, and as Hannah says, right across that value chain from the quality of the ingredients that are used, and you know, and I think if we take the principle of a consumer um, trial, so a product is you know a formulator, and I, again, having seen the passion that some of the leading formulators of the world have to mm. really improve consumer skin health. Mm -hmm. uh, they want to do what's best. So they're going to try and find the best possible ingredients, put it together in the best possible formulation to deliver results. They then take those um, formulations to clinical trial and they control how often it's used, how much is used, <laughs> and they prove that the formulation works. Mm -hmm. And then, and I've, I've personally had these conversations at events like In Cosmetics Global, and then the consumer goes home and is not guided mm. no. 
how to use that because she's maybe not got the best person in the store or the spa that she bought those or she bought it online based on an influencer who didn't really explain no. what she had to do. And, and this is where technology has a big opportunity to play to just automate some of that, mm. to just do what Keep Millie the consistency. said again. Look, you make my life easy. Make me having a lifetime of skin health easy, please, beauty industry. It's the same thing when you think about a brand. Every brand starts with an owner, right? Every yeah. brand starts with an entrepreneur that has a vision. It has a story. There's a reason why. And these formulators are, are, are those within that process. And as a company grows, sometimes it loses the connection to its roots and that original story. And it's kind of the same process sometimes when it comes to understanding what those formulators were trying to achieve and then once you get it out of those kind of that clinical environment, you, you lose mm-hmm. a lot of the focus and then the kind of the marketing sometimes gets in the way. Yeah. We've been talking a lot, I think, about um, the opportunities of technology in the production line and the value it serves. This is kind of a default question, but I think with, your, with the amount of experience that you've got, I'm really interested to get your thoughts on... We find ourselves sometimes in positions where people are looking for the next trend, the next opportunity... Where is technology going? Um, and you, I think, have worked... Not, it's not just about the UK market as well. So we, we spoke about this when we met, is that while the UK market is progressing, you have other markets mm-hmm. that are what feel like decades ahead when it comes to the mm-hmm. consumer's awareness and attitudes to how technology and data can have a more positive impact. So, uh, for example, it was over in Tokyo years ago this happened. Um, Microsoft had a bit of a pilot with some sentiment analysis tools within a magic mirror. So similar to what you've been talking about. And effectively, they just had this roll call of different colours and types of lipsticks and products and dependent on how your face reacts because we all think we've got a great poker face but the Mm. answer is no we don't (laughs) we have a reaction and our face will even just slightly twitch even though and it analyzed that and then put forward the best products based on their reactions um now while that's just a pilot and it's an example there are so many companies that are taking that kind of concept and putting it forward. So like the Asian market, the Eastern market in comparison, there's such a big difference. Yeah, yeah. Or, I mean, China. Yeah. <laughs> China. Let, let's just talk about some of the other markets outside of the UK. Yeah, I think, I, I think it's a great point. There's no doubt technology has been more readily adopted within some of the Asian markets that you've mentioned. Going back to your point on mirrors, I think mirrors are a really interesting platform mm-hmm. because... Um, they're not invasive there's no additional gesture required and believe it or not we like what we see when we look in the mirror there's lots of data (laughs) how we actually look in the mirror you you get used to it at some point you have to like (laughs) we actually look in the mirror around 50 times a day did you know that Men no. look in the mirror more frequently than women. Does that include Teams and Zoom? Because if so, it's, I'm 100% looking at myself <laughs> all day, every and day. And windows. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, no, this is just mirrors. So, if we, it, you know, men look in the mirror more frequently than care. women, but wow. we as women look in the mirror for longer. We've got hair and all sorts to yeah, deal yeah. with, Dean, just so for, <laughs> for clarity yeah, there. The so I think, I think that's a nice part about technology, like what you're describing, is it, 
it feels natural. The it's other thing lives, is yeah. we're, we're programmed to like our own DNA. It's why when we go to the nursery, we recognise our own child <laughs> in the crowd of 50 children. I don't know. I've fallen foul of that a couple of times. <laughs> so so this is, this is, it, it's, it's known fact that we are going to like our own reflection, particularly when it's enhanced, enhanced to look a bit better. And I think the That's reason... That's fascinating. Yeah, exactly. And I think the reason why we haven't adopted it yet mm. in Europe or to the same degree in North America, for example, is because genuinely we've had so much success as an industry. We're almost entrenched in what has been. Yeah. And, you know, if I think back to what, cause, so I've lived through the pre-digital, the post-digital, and now what I'm terming the post-COVID yeah. Oh, totally. And I try. I tried to not talk about COVID on these podcasts, but it was such a pivotal time for our category. Well, well, yes, because prior to the pandemic, globally, eighty-five percent of our industry sales around the world were made in some sort of bricks and mortar. Exactly. So we were considered as the one of the big spaces mm. where technology has not yet disrupted. Totally. Now, what then happened was through the pandemic, because the stores and the spas were closed, we saw a rapid acceleration on on, on digital mm. because it was all we could do. Yeah. Um, and, and you saw people who had adapted a little bit, pushing that forward and people really jumping in because they hadn't done anything in the digital space. Mm. Um, and now we're back to this new world and I don't, I don't think we're ever going back to Mm-mm. 85-15 as an industry, but I don't think we're going back to entirely digital either, no. like what we were during the pandemic, because we're human and we enjoy connection mm. and we want, we, we want to play with product. It's we experience. want to experiment with yeah. product, absolutely. So I never miss, I mean, it's one of the things that's been instilled in me. It's, it's, you know, it goes back to my Lauder days, you know, Leonard Lauder, when I did field trips with him, would never go in a security entrance. You must walk in the front door. You must see what the customer sees. And, and I still live with that. I loved, in fact, a couple of weeks ago, I mystery shopped a brand I had been working with and I, and I sent them my report to say the product's fantastic, but we need to get the experience better. Tell, tell me more about Leonard Lauder and your oh, okay. kind of... I, like, I, I just... I, I, that's, I, a, that's a name drop. I know, <laughs> it really is. It rolls off the tongue really nicely. Yeah, it's a lovely name. To work with... Have the ability to work with someone like that. Like you say, there's an ethos of always doing it in this way. Yes. It must have really instilled some incredible habits and some foundational ways of thinking. Yes. Into your approach to the category. Absolutely. You know, my tenure at Este was from 87 to 97, and it taught me standards that I still live by to this day. Mm. Um, I worked with with two brands in the portfolio. So I worked for the first six years, as I mentioned earlier, on the prescriptors brand and then was promoted onto Mothership, as we would call it, the, the, main, <laughs> the main Estee Lauder brand. And actually, I remember one particular field trip with Leonard. We were in Glasgow. Um, and as I say, we walked the stores. You know, you always needed to good shoes on to do the Glasgow, Edinburgh, <laughs> Newcastle field trips. Because if you, anyone who's read his book, um, the company I keep will, will know about the renowned field trips that he liked to do with, with people like myself around the world. Um, and I had literally just been promoted from the Prescriptors brand onto the Estee Lauder brand. And he said to me something that I've always remembered, which was, 
Your brands, Wilma, are like your children. You need to nurture them on their individual path each step of the way. Now, I didn't have children at that point. Um, but as a mother now of a 25 and 21-year-old, I so get that. Mm. And I really see it with the brands. You mentioned some of the, the global brands that I've worked with. You know, Dolce & Gabbana is a great example of a brand I worked with during my tenure at Aspects Beauty. You know, I sat in front of buyers and, and explained who Domenico Dolce and Stefano Gabbana were. That seems unthinkable now, but mm. that's the power of brand. Mm. You know, they, beca- they became so renowned for what they stood for in terms of their, their fashion and, 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 you know, the authority that they were at that time. And, you know, that's just one example. Um, I, and I think, you know, branding's always going to have a big place in this industry because it's where the consumer trust. They, they know, I, I watched something recently on, and, and they were talking about Steve Jobs and Apple and, and, and those values that he instilled on excellence and innovation and mm. never stand still and always be curious. Mm. And, you know, that's why that's why we have iPhones, <laughs> because we trust that brand. And in, and in our space, there's great examples mm. Um, and, you know, and, and I still look at, you know, I, I, I mentioned to you, Anna, uh, you know, I, I was, when, during my tenure at Este, I was working and being exposed to people like Dr. Daniel Mays, who was, who was really innovating products like Advanced Night Repair and these icon, now iconic products to our world. But I remember that. Yeah. Um, and, and more recently, um, I listened to Dr. Nadine Pernody speak at the New York Society of Chem- cosmetic chemist and that lady's passion to do what's best for her brands within that portfolio is huge she, she did a, a, a webinar with which British Bowl hosted at the end of last year you I'm sure you'll be able to find it where she herself talked about her passion and her innovation but she also brought some of her key brand uh, people so Clinique Origins I think Creme de la Mer talking about what are they working on? How are they trying to move what we can do for skin health forward? Mm. And you know, and I've seen it. I've seen it at a more local level here in the UK. I, I kind of love that our consumers are now getting exposed to that expertise. You know, I, someone I have huge respect for um, is is Dr. Mike Bell on in the Number Seven brand portfolio, and and Mike regularly is featured in in uh, in pod, you know, in, in articles and talking about his passion for skin health and ha- again having sat in the room with him um you know he he he's an ec- he's an he's committed to excellence in his space so to take your point you know how do we as an industry uh, communicate that so that yeah, i don't think it, I don't, yeah i mean but this goes back to again i think trying you know we, we know that you know people are quite loyal generally to their yes. brands. And, and again, my own experience, my daughter uses Clarence because my wife uses Clarence, right? And, and, and you yeah, know, it's, it's very much generational. And it's I think, handed down sometimes. So again, I think firstly, yeah, I mean, I, I think brands using the, the power of the story. I mean, some of the stories you've told today, I, I hadn't known. I mean, you know, you obviously have, have been in the industry so long, but there's some interesting stories you've told today that I think the consumer would be interested in. And also, I think, you know, if we then link that with technology and what that can do is help, you know, well, the storytelling and you know the the innovation can attract people to brands, and then the, and then the, hopefully the technology and innovation can keep them at those brands. Because again, this whole this is what I think is you know we know how difficult it is to get someone. And once you get them, if you can if you can get that compliance up, prove the product works. That's got to be the you know this is why brand and technology does all come together, right? I, I, what you've just said 
Dean, is huge because skincare is the category within beauty which builds that loyalty and trust. Mm -hmm. So people will move around uh, with their colour cosmetics, with their fragrance, but the trust, the, the lifetime value of the consumer really comes from that skincare category. And we know that as an industry. And I'm glad you mentioned Clarins because I think they're a great example. Um, having well, The trust there, I think, is... It's, it's huge, but it goes back to, and I, I recently had this conversation with someone in the innovation group at Clarence. It goes back to their whole heritage because I remember <laughs> when Clarence, in the places, the stores pre digitally that they existed, they had something called Institute. I don't know if you, either of you remember Clarence Institute, yep. but that was all about. So the institute that I was first exposed mm. to back in back in my um, education phase in Edinburgh was there was a Clarins Institute in Jenners of Edinburgh, mm-hmm. where an expert taught people how to take care of their skin in a personalised way from the Clarins collection of innovative formulations that had been had been brought even back then from nature. Yeah, and and the recent conversation I had. Um, Boti Connecté was the conference where I met this because it was it was talking exactly like what you've just uh, said. I'd met, met this um, senior person from Clarence and he and I talked about what if we could create institute in real time? Because mm. think about what we said earlier about how our skin's unique, but our skin changes with the environment. Our skin changes as we as we age. It it. it changes with different um you know hormonal effect I mean, our lifestyle is, changes. is huge you know the only time i had hypersensitive skin in my own personal life was through my pregnancies oh, yeah I, you guys did a brilliant podcast about menopause recently mm. and these are changes that are you know they are life-changing experiences mm-hmm. and if we can be guiding the consumer not for technology's sake mm. Because it's not about technology for technology's sake. It's about what can that technology enable within our health and well-being space. Mm-hmm. That's what excites me. Yeah. And with so and with skin, you said mirrors and with phones. We know it's all it's there. It's yes. Not, it's not like we've got. I mean, again, I think part of the challenge you have with technologies recently have been, you know, for instance, augmented reality is the headsets, the three D, the whole three D TV thing. You know, like it's going to be big, but no one wanted to put the headsets on. Mirrors and phones are here. Yes. There's no like you haven't got to Absolutely. introduce them to something new. I mean, yeah, there's I, I know there's some face mask technology, I, but that's different. But there's nothing new here. It's just like mm. yeah, you know that thing in your pocket. That's all you yeah. need. Or you know that mirror. That's all you need. Yeah. I think the the challenge that, and I can only empathise with the the amount of brands that we've managed to speak to, is sometimes there's this fear of actually getting started. And knowing where to start, I think, is sometimes quite overwhelming for a brand. When you... Well, I need what, a consultancy, yeah? I mean, This is why I don't invite you to these podcasts, because you just no. plug us. <laughs> but, but I remember one of the famous things I wrote on a Microsoft blog about, you know, if, about AI in particular, was how do you get started, you know? Yeah. And the first thing to do is to give, well, well, give someone in the, in the business... Say, look, I'd like you to go and look at what it means to my industry, you know? Mm. So you're in beauty. Just go and have a look, you know? Here's some, go to some conference. Then come back and go, what do we need to do about it? And probably what you need to do is then engage with 
a business who can help you get to the next stage, yeah? Because mm -hmm. it's difficult to bring someone in-house with all that knowledge. And it, as we know, again, it's all about partnerships. And it really is, because it's so diverse now, and there's so many different skill sets. Unless you're a L'Oreal or a huge brand, you can't bring all that in-house. So it's... It, 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 and, and to be fair, even if you are a L'Oreal or an Estee or an LVMH, you may not have the focus or skill set to facilitate some of that transformation well, that's possible. Well, the infrastructure. Um, I, I recently, uh, I decided to get, you know, after I, um, after the Cutitronics um, trials ended last year, I decided to um, sign myself up to do a course, to do a programme on artificial intelligence and um, blockchain. Mm -hmm. And I, I decided to, just Two buzzwords that make everyone just, shudder. Just to be really brave, because because my Amazing. background, as I've explained, is not technology. And I, when I was recognised as an inspirational woman in technology in 2020, some of my family laughed because it's not my background. And as I said earlier, I'm not interested in technology for technology's sake, but actually what value it can add mm. in the in our yeah. particular area that I've talked about a lot of, of skin health. So I signed myself up took a deep breath and signed myself up to do a course with the Said Business School at the University of Oxford. And I absolutely loved it because we did just exactly what, what you know, we looked at different sectors and we looked, we looked at the technology and, and how technology has evolved, evolved from, you know, the first internet and how we, mm. where we've gone from the We all know, remember concept. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> to where we are now. And we then looked at each area and its application within industries such as entertainment, transportation, finance, you know, the, the workplace. Mm. And, and I was put in a team with people who I thought were, and they were more technology-minded than me. They were in spaces like telecoms and, and media and, and all sorts of different areas. But they all wanted to do our capstone project on the personal care industry. <laughs> so we did our project, because the, everybody is touched by the, the personal care industry. Hopefully everybody used a deodorant this morning. <laughs> we all, That's we why all I'm sat really far away, if I'm honest. <laughs> We're all touched by this great, huge industry. And yet, as I said earlier, it's one of the big ones that's not really been disrupted. And I just saw so much synergy between mm. some of what we've seen of what's been adopted and how consumers have crossed that chasm in other spaces, you know, are really personal spaces. And now, for as an industry, we have that opportunity, as you say, the phones and the mirrors are here, Dean. We, we, that's a lot, I mean, yeah. we just need to bring that together now, and that's hugely exciting. I think as well, we, we spoke about this before the podcast, which is why I had to stop us talking, because I felt like <laughs> we were just going to do the whole podcast without it being recorded, is, um, you know, one of the things that, that Paul do is, you know, health and beauty category is, you know, so broad. So yes. skincare is massive, but it's just one part Absolutely. of it. Um, and actually, we try and build this holistic view of all of the different subcategories because they all interlink because it's the same one person that's touching all of those different categories. Like we say, we're all wearing deodorant, bar me, apparently, um, all wearing <laughs> deodorant today. So it's, and it's the same with technology, but it feels like a bit of a beast at times. And I think what you said earlier that was really stuck with you, I think it applies to the approach in bringing technology and innovation in to improve is 
what you were saying around, um, you know, you need to treat your brands as if they are your children and develop them on their own individual basis because at different stages of their life, they will need different things. And Mm -hmm. we have definitely noticed that as well is the conversations that we're having with a brand that's 10 months old, 10 days old Mm -hmm. versus 10 years while they feel like they're they're all in the same marketplace and they're all trying to speak to the same consumer, the things they're trying to say and the challenges, they're completely different. And so if you can gain the insights at multiple stages from a technology point of view, it's understanding where where does as soon as I wake up in the morning, I try, it's a terrible habit. And every every day I sit there and go, I'm teaching my son this, but my alarm goes off. And the first thing I do is go onto my emails and go, what, what have I got ahead of my day? Okay, fine. At the weekends, I don't, obviously. Um, But there's these... So technology is in Mm, our hand. mm. It wakes us up every morning. The amount of people that I say, do you have an alarm clock anymore? And they're like, no, I use my phone. Uh, You know, everything is there. Also, when we have our biggest challenges as, as individuals, we go to Google. Right? Some of the most intimate questions that people are asking around their own health or, or mental health, they're going into a search engine. Mm-hmm. So that data is available. It's just about understanding the questions that you want to ask and how you potentially want to use those to better that customer experience. Absolutely. The insight and to better that customer experience that you just said, to me, this is where the big opportunity is. Mm-hmm. If I go back to the course that I mentioned um, that I did earlier this year, when we looked at different sectors, the example that resonated with me most in terms of its parallels with our industry was actually Netflix (laughs) and how they have evolved. Oh, gosh, yes. (laughs) From supplying DVDs to streaming to using artificial intelligence to tell you what you want to watch. To producing their own. To now producing. Mm. Because... and why it resonates is because there's just so much out there. Mm. And our industry is such a crowded marketplace mm. that the consumer is completely confused on what's best for him or her. Mm. And what we can do is, through using artificial intelligence, we can really start to filter and narrow down what's best for Dean today. Mm. Yep. And that's really exciting. Yeah. And it goes all the way across our value chain from those source and sustainability of great ingredients to great formulations to the brand and, and you know, the trust that they build with their consumer to in what's happening in store, spa, online. But let's bring it together so that life's easier. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and the technology to do that is, is, is there. Mm-hmm. Half the time, it's getting the systems to talk to each other, and that's yeah. and there are and there are partners that can help with that. And I think that's where, as you say, Dean, it's having the right people in your arsenal, so to yeah. speak. You know, you can't everything can't be done at once by one person. And also within the life, you wouldn't have the same person doing the same thing for ten years of a brand's history. Absolutely, long. absolutely. And you know, this was something we looked at in the course: was how do how do and how have incumbents in big industries respond mm-hmm. versus how do startups disrupt brand, yeah. yep. and, and I think that's the only certainty for our industry is our industry will continue to grow, the only question is what size of the pie will each company brand have and by that openness of mind 
and I'll say this because you, you get, I don't have a vested interest, <laughs> but by having the curiosity and the openness of mind to bring in people like yourselves to think what is possible, mm. that's how you'll find the new horizon. But because if you, you know, if you do what you've always done, you you might get what you always get. But I think in today's world, you'll probably get less. So mm-hmm. you'll probably slip back a bit and lose some of that market share that you may have spent decades building. Mm-hmm. Because in our in our pre digital beauty world, the barriers to entry were huge. You know, if I look at a market like here in the UK, you had to have at least 30 doors to even make an impact. Mm. Um, And, you know, the investment that went along with that, you know, almost, you know, building the size of a, you know, the price of a small apartment and department stores Mm. to have that presence, those have all gone now. Mm. So the opportunity for independent brands um, to create world-leading formulations that deliver results to their consumers is huge yeah there's um there's well we've got a day of lots of nostalgic sayings today but i always think they're really valuable we have two we have lots but there's two that i like to talk about which is one is you can't read the ingredients from inside the jam jar and i think we say that to ourselves a lot it was said to us a couple of years ago and i think it resonated really well like you're saying you know and the second one is Albert Einstein very famously said the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome. And I think sometimes the brands in this category are guilty of that. Um, Because they've been hugely successful. mm. You know, public companies look at the margins that come out of this industry. This is a hugely successful industry and has been certainly all of my lifetime. Mm. And, and and that's thanks to some really great innovators. You know, I mentioned my exposure to Helena Rubinstein and Leonard Lauder fairly um, fairly openly talks about if there hadn't been an Elizabeth Arden and a Helena Rubinstein, there would never have been an Estee Lauder. So yes, there were the pioneers who sat at their kitchen table and, and you know, were committed to well-being. Mm. But, you know, now that industry has grown pre-digitally, like I described, particularly in markets like the UK. You know, we've had, as an industry, a deep penetration Mm. in the UK market through relationships that were built between brands and retailers of some description. Um, But now, post-digitally, that world has changed because we've got so much more access to information. And and there's some great examples of that um, education being communicated as we, we talked about earlier but bringing it all together just to make the confusion go away and the personalization emerge back to exactly what Millie said <laughs> you know I was She's getting great was, airtime today I was talking I was talking about the the active mirror press release with Marty's Jan, but you know I really want to see that technology in our homes yeah. I want to just gonna say that what's 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 next? Because I think, the, you know, talk about the mini thing, you know, for me, the thing that I find mind-blowing at the moment is the fact that you could potentially, as you say, you should look at your phone in the morning, it analyse your skin, yeah, then 3D print the product you need for Before that day. Before you even day. get in your bathroom. Yeah, <laughs> and then you put that product on, and then the next day it prints the product you need for that day. I mean, that, for me, is, is sort of... I know, I know it's not accessible in terms of cost, 
particularly, not quite yet. Not yet. That yeah. blows my mind. So, but is that next, or is, I, I think, is it? Is that really, cost-effective? I, I think exact. I think you had a really put a good point because there's the cost, but there's also the behavioural elements. I think we need to journey people in technology. Mm-hmm. You know, you think about the evolution of our phones, for example, and how, you know, in a short space of time how our phones change from being one thing into being multiple things. And, and I think that's, there's good learning. And, and again, that's a lot of what we looked at in the programme that I've just completed. Because, you know, we can create whatever we want, but ultimately, if the consumer is scared of it or if it's, we've not journeyed the consumer. And this is where I go back to my question earlier on around markets and attitudes within the different consumers in the world we know that the uk market let's let's use menopause as an example the uk is a completely different space from the openness of communication it's the same with skincare it's the same yeah. with technology yeah. and we have to as brands and custodians of those brands take that into consideration and work out not everyone's in the same place even generationally um not everyone is in the exact same place when it comes to the openness to adopt you know this kind of technology in the day-to-day life so you, i think you're absolutely spot on when it comes about taking them on a journey and that responsibility to communicate why it's important and how it's going to have a positive impact on your life yeah I I think so and I mean I I, my first trip to London post lockdown was end of last year well the you know the series of lockdowns Mm. I was probably here in between um but I purposely took time to see what was happening in stores. I, I, mm. I never lose that ethos of walking through the front door <laughs> and seeing what's happening. And, and in this particular exam, in fact, I, I published an article on LinkedIn um, because I went to Harrods, which was the first London department store. that I, I came to the launch of Custom Blend on the Prescriptors brand in Harrods as a, I think, 22-year-old. <laughs> Um, and was really talking about something in personalisation, which now has become normal, but then was, whoa, so ahead of its time. Um, then went on to, to take it to Asia um, and and watched how that was adopted. Mm. Um, but when I came to do this trip, when I was in the store in December of last year, I looked at different departments mm. and different brands. And sadly... A lot of the beauty brands were completely lacking experience mm. because they were doing what they've always done. There was a, an advisor there who was restricted because of hygiene and various other bits and pieces. But nobody had broken that ceiling of we can do things differently here. And yet you were seeing it more in other departments, you know, in terms of how they were creating omnichannel experience and I actually wrote in my article here's what I think we need to do guys yeah I think and the three things I suggested was we need to make our in-store ambassadors completely focused on experience Mm -hmm. you know make it all about experience we need second point we need to create omni-channel connection and we need technologies that enable us to do that and that's exactly what we've just done with Marty Derman Actimer. Mm-hmm. We've actually brought together technology in a seamless way through a mirror mm. that guides and informs the consumer, mm. gives incredible authority to the brand and gives real confidence to that beauty advisor in store. Um, you know, that's been one of the things with this proof of concept is these beauty advisors love this. Mm. Because guess what? The consumer wants 
consumers have always loved diagnostics, but now because of the way we can connect it all, we we can truly take them towards Millie's mirror. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't think we're going to the full, you know, 3D printer making what you need overnight. But I think if you can look in your mirror and take you to your bathroom shelf to pick up a particular bottle or a particular jar and use it in the quantity that's right for you in that moment. And maybe it records that you do that so you get the compliance piece in too, which is all there. So so that we know that this morning Hannah used... What did you use this morning, Hannah? Oh, I actually used Tropics skincare this morning. Did you? I love Tropics. Yeah. And then gamify it. Compliance equals points. There you to go. To buy more there product because you you're go. using the buy amount of product. Yeah. There I think go. it as well. It comes down to. Um, I was just thinking as you were talking, if you could have that <laughs> holistic is my favourite word of the day. Apparently, um, I'll find a new word for it soon. Um, is if the app or the the data point that was analysing and distributing what my skincare needed based on the analysis it had done that day if it also knew how much water I had drunk the day before and also knew which supplements I was taking um you spend all your life on your phone <laughs> I, I mean I spend my life on my phone anyway but yeah it would it would have a big yeah, significant data, impact yeah. on just your general well-being and understanding that it is an organ and if you feed that organ properly you will see better results whether that's externally with this with the kind of you know, I think you're so right. Potions. You know, water is huge, obviously. Um, but I think we're seeing a real movement in our industry too, which I know you've been exposed to and I've been exposed to, of Inside Out Beauty. Oh, gosh. I'm. This is a huge... To- Are we going to need a second podcast? In a minute, guys, I'm not <laughs> well, going to lie. I, I had a recent uh, discussion on, on technology with a, a, a very... Um, large company who's and it was their prestige portfolio who do supplements as well as topical yeah because i get I, I guess we we are increasingly educating our consumer on internal and external because our skin is reflecting mm. what's happening inside mm. and one of the biggest issues that they have with inside out is the compliance yeah so, you know, if we, if we can automate that through notifications, whether it's on your, your app, on your phone, or whether it's, whether it's through something that you already use ideally, mm. or through, whether it's through your bathroom mirror that says, um, you know, on a skin health point of view, your skin's more dehydrated than normal. Use this and incidentally remember your water today. Mm. That's what we want to, you know, we want to take this, we want... To have the experience of people like myself and you know my colleagues over the years who have been exposed to really what's best for skin health and just automate it so yeah. that everybody can have it. Yeah, I think that's you've just said one thing that I think is really important to elevate here is so that everybody can have it. Yeah. We definitely um, Ole for me always gets a massive shout out because they created and they developed a patent. And, well, they didn't even patent it actually. That's the whole point of my my message here is they developed an accessible lid it was a lid with wings so that people that had issues with actually gripping and opening the lid off of their products it was there and um, they didn't patent it they shared it they went we've done this great thing that's going to actually just help everyone and we're not going to lock it out and we're going to share it and so much there are so many scenarios and there's so many times where I see that there's this really amazing thing but it's being kept behind closed doors because understandably they want to protect it 
because it's such a busy space and there are so many different people that you can compete with in different ways. But it's understanding that if we, if we put that technology out there and understand that this is going to push the category forward, not just the brand and that individual, but the category and open up. And because I don't think a single brand is going to be able to do what you've said around moving and educating that consumer. So this is a category-wide movement that needs to happen where people say, we know this is where it could get to, but we have to, like you said earlier, take the customer on that journey. And I think that's a big challenge that we still are trying to overcome yeah absolutely and you know there are great bodies like the british beauty council um corporate people like that but you know when i was when i was certainly in my roles at este and especially especially aspects um where we were taking brands that were pretty much unknown and bringing to them them to you know a deeply penetrated market like the uk there was an association called the FBA, the Fragrance and Beauty Association, which all the major players were part of. And it was for the exact purpose that you've just described back then. Mm. It was about, you know, collating information for everyone's benefit. Mm. And I loved the reports that that association produced because it really helped me to do my job. Yep. Um, and it really helped me to to, you know, present or find ways to present the brands that we represented in the best possible way with back then the retail partnerships that were right for them. And guess what? We all flourish when we work together. Exactly. Well, I could talk for hours. I mean, we have on many occasions. And every time we speak, it's something different. So I think we're just going to have to do another podcast at some point. (laughs) But um, thank you so much. I have one final question um, because we have spoke about everything today from retail to just the concept of innovation to packaging to manufacturing and the wealth of knowledge that you bring is just incredible um and i think all of our listeners would really benefit from the question that we always like to end on which is if you could give one piece of advice to everyone that's listening to this whether brand managers marketeers whatever it may be that work and live and breathe in this category what would that one piece of advice be? It might be two. It would be um, to remain curious. Mm. Try not, even when you've got huge success, try not to be too set in that. But but remain... So, sorry, I'm going to stop you. There's a really annoying fire alarm that's just completely engulfed everything you just said. So I'm just going to pause this <laughs> a sec and I'm going to ask the question again. I'm really sorry. It's okay. This is why I sit here with these headphones on all day. Because then I can hear... <laughs> still going. Yes. You mean the police car? Yeah. yeah. It's like taking over the mics. Okay. okay. There you go. Yeah, it sounds like it was there with you. <laughs> okay. Okay. Sorry. That was a really good question. Um, my question to you is, with all of your years of experience and insight and exposure globally if you could give one piece of advice to brands managers marketeers whoever it may be that live and breathe in this category what would it be my advice would be to remain curious celebrate your successes and there's lots of successes but don't get too entrenched in those past successes remain curious and genuinely walk through the door and listen to what consumers are saying 
watch what consumers are doing. Um, listen to them in every channel in which your brand operates and even in the channels in which you don't. Um, but remain curious because this is a great space um, and I believe it will continue to, to pioneer and be a success for, for many years to come. Oh, amazing. Thank you so much, Dean, Wilma. You you guys have been amazing today. Thank you so much. Guys, we really hope you enjoyed this episode of Future and Beauty Unfiltered. Please rate, subscribe, do all of those things. I'll learn the lingo at some point. (laughs) Um, And if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to email us at podcast at thepoolagency.com. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye.